going to be continuing on in the Olivet Discourse. Uh, we, we started it two weeks ago uh, before our picnic. We took a week break for our picnic, and now we're jumping right back in. Um, and hopefully, if, if you weren't here last time, uh, you had a chance to listen online, because uh, last time we went through verses 1 through 3, and it, it really sets up the rest of the Olivet Discourse. So if you had had a chance to listen to that sermon, um, maybe sometime later today, get back and listen to it. Um, it, it really kind of establishes the rest of what we're going to be going through. Let's, uh, let's read Matthew 24, verses 4 through 14. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it be able to stand firm to the end. Timothy McVeigh, Osama bin Laden, 9-11, wars in Iraq and in Afghanistan, in Israel, Hurricane Katrina, tsunamis in Sri Lanka and in Thailand and in Japan, earthquakes in China and in Haiti and in Guatemala, warnings of climate change, mass shootings in Columbine, Virginia Tech, Las Vegas, Jim Jones, Charles Manson, and David Koresh, hanging chads, Russian collusion, mail-in voter fraud, Ferguson, Missouri, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, COVID-19. We, we live in a world that seems to be spinning out of control. And to many, it, it seems like the end is, is right around the corner. That there is no hope unless we make some drastic, drastic changes. In fact, many millennials think that things are so bad that they are refusing to have children. I mean, why bring up a child in a world such as this? But is our generation all that different from the generations that have come before us? Think about those who lived during the Great Depression. Or how about during World War I or World War II? What about the Civil War? 
Consider Europe during the time of the Black Plague, a disease that, that practically wiped out half of the population. Each and every generation that comes, they face trying circumstances, circumstances that test their faith. And Jesus calls upon his people to stand firm, no matter what their world may bring. And this is a message that we see today as Jesus spoke to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. If you recall, Jesus, as he was leaving Jerusalem, he had predicted the destruction of the temple, declaring that not one stone would be left upon another, that every single one would be thrown down. And in response to this prophecy, his disciples came to him privately in order to ask their master two questions. When and what? When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And we talked about the meaning of these, of these words, coming and of the end of the age. And how these first century Jewish disciples would have understood those terms. Coming, meaning, meaning the time when Christ would take his throne as the kingly Messiah. Bringing salvation to those who were his people. And bringing judgment to those who are his enemies. And then the end of the age, referring to the ushering in of a new era. The end of an old one. An era, the new era, which would be under a new covenant, making, the, making obsolete the old covenant. This is how these men viewed these terms and how, how they were interpreted. That's how they interpreted Jesus' prophecy concerning the destruction of the temple. That, that this event, this cataclysmic happening, would be the coming judgment of the Messiah upon a wicked generation, as well as the end of the old covenant and the beginning of the new. Two questions. When and What? And now today, we, we will look at the first part of Jesus' answer to these men as he focuses in on the what. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? What will signify that all this, this, this destruction upon the temple is about to take place? And what we'll find as Jesus gives his answer is that, is that he will speak words of warning to his disciples of the, of the type of men that they needed to be as persecution would ramp up. And there were three things that, that, that Jesus stressed along with a promise. First, they would need discernment. Discernment so they may not fi might not fall victim to deception. Second, they would need Courage. Courage so that they may not be overwhelmed by fear. And third, they would need conviction. Conviction so that they might stand firm in the teachings of Christ. And as they would be those three things, Jesus assured them that they would see the kingdom of God grow. That was his promise to them. So let's see how this plays out. Look at our first two verses. Look at verses 4 and 5. Jesus answered, 
Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. One of the greatest temptations that we can face during times of tribulation or trouble is to blindly follow the soothing words of any self-proclaimed Savior who promises to bring us help. No matter what generation you are living in, there, there always seems to be that would-be Messiah claiming to hold the solution to man's misfortune. And, and first century Israel was no different. One of these so-called saviors was a man named Theodos. We read about him in the book of Acts. Now Theodos was, he, he claimed to be a prophet from God and he had convinced roughly 400 men to follow him out into the wilderness where he had promised that he would part the Jordan River. Another man was a a guy named Judas. And Judas had convinced his followers to revolt against Rome. But unfortunately, that revolt ended in bloodshed and he and many of his followers were killed in their attempt. There was another man who, 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 who we get from... Josephus, a Jewish historian of the time, a man who came out of Egypt who claimed to be something great. And he had gathered some 30,000 men on the Mount of Olives. And he made this promise that, that God would tear down the walls of Jerusalem at his command, just as he did for Joshua many years prior in Jericho. And that when the walls fell, they would be able to take possession of the city. Again, it was the Romans who made an example of this man as they defeated both him and his men in a bloody, bloody battle. And these are just a few examples of these would-be messiahs during the first century. Jesus wanted his disciples to be wary of such deception, to be suspicious of those who, who promise immediate victory over the troubles of this world. And this is why they needed discernment. For his followers, they must be able to distinguish between the salvation that Jesus offers and these false claims of deliverance that are given by so many. Look at at John chapter 10, verse 1. I tell you the truth. The The man who does not enter by the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is a shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. True faith knows how to discern between those who claim to bring salvation and the only one who can bring salvation. And such discernment comes from knowing Christ's voice. Dear friends, this is why it is so important for for you to be in God's word. 
so that you might know Jesus' voice and not be deceived. You must have discernment. For these false messiahs will use deception in order to fool you. And one of the ways they will, they will do it is by pointing out all the troubles that are surrounding us. They will make the claim that, that the end is near. Look at, look at verses 6 through 8. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Here, Jesus speaks of things that are not the signs of the end of the age. But they are, they are what these false messiahs will point to. And the reason they point to them is they want to stir up fear in the hearts of men. Things such as wars and famines and earthquakes. Things that, that, that seem like the end, but are not. And Jesus told his disciples that, that these things would happen anyways, but that they shouldn't be alarmed. That they were not to interpret them as signs from God that, that the temple's destruction was imminent. Of course, events like these are the ammunition of false prophets. They are how they validate their claims of hearing from God. A vague reference concerning a war to take place. A mysterious word about the earth shaking. An ambiguous allusion to a drought or a shortage of food. These are the tools that are used by, by shameless men to create panic and gain a following. But Jesus says to not be alarmed. That such things must take place. But the end is yet to come. And the same is true for us today. We are not to be worried over, over things that have been happening on a regular basis throughout history. The world has always been at war. There, there have always been occurrences of natural disasters. COVID-19 is not the first pandemic, and it is certainly not the worst. We shouldn't interpret these things as signs of the end. For these things have been evident ever since Adam sinned. They are a result of the fall. And so we should not be surprised when they happen. And we should not be alarmed when they occur. Nor should we fall prey to the deceptions of those who would use these things to declare that the end is near. We should not give in to fear. They're not the signs of the end. Rather, they are signals of man's sin and of the curse that was given long ago. And this is why Jesus' disciples need courage. For true faith does not get alarmed in a fallen world, but understands that Jesus is sovereign over all of it. But it's not just discernment and courage that these disciples needed, for there was a, a greater, a more immediate threat that these men would be facing before the fall of Jerusalem. Look at verse 9. 
Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. This persecution that, that Jesus warns them of is recorded for us in the book of Acts. From the arrest of Peter to the stoning of Stephen to the assassination plot on Paul's life, the oppression of Christ's church before the destruction of the temple was very real and very painful. And it came from both the Jews and the Gentiles. The men and the women of the early church, they they never knew what tomorrow would bring for them. They were living under a constant threat. But why did this happen? What was the reason that this persecution came about? What did Jesus say? You will be hated by all nations because of me. Look at John 15, verses 18 through 20. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Brothers, sisters, Jesus' words here cannot be any clearer. To follow him is to be hated by the world. That is what Christ has promised. But unfortunately, many in the church today, particularly in the West, think that verses like these were not meant for them. We have lived so long in a a nation that values freedom that we have developed this mentality that, that Christianity should somehow be appealing to the world around us. And for many years, that is how we have directed our churches, by, by trying to be attractive to the culture. But that's not the way of Christ. And that's not what he called his disciples to do. Jesus was a polemical figure. He spoke against both the religious and the cultural norms of his day. And this is what we have seen as we have gone through, gone through these last few chapters in Matthew. I mean, think about it. Jesus cleansing the temple. Jesus sharing these parables where the religious elite are cast as the enemies of God. Jesus speaking seven woes upon the, upon the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Christ was not trying to look attractive to the world. Instead, he spoke the truth. Truth that the people did not want to hear. And because of that, they crucified him. And when you read through the book of Acts, what do you find? His disciples were doing the same exact thing. They followed their master's example and spoke the hard truth, calling sinners to repentance. They said that Jesus was the only one who could deliver them from their sins. And that unless they trusted in him, unless they had faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone, they would be lost and still under the wrath of God. 
This was not a popular message back then. And it's not a popular message today. It's not what the masses want to hear. And as a result, what happened to the disciples? Each and every one of them faced persecution. And all but one of them became martyrs for the faith. They died proclaiming Christ. And yet, these men stood firm. They took up their cross and followed Jesus. And now this same charge has been placed upon us. God has not called you to be appealing to the world. Rather, he has called you to speak the truth, whether the world wants to hear it or not. Of course, not everyone who claimed to be a Christian in the first century were like these disciples. Not everyone remained true to the faith. Look, look, look back at our passage. Look at verses 10 through 13. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. The refining fire that is persecution separates those who are committed to Christ and those who only find him to be convenient for a season. And Jesus demonstrates how this comes about. First, there will be a turning away from the faith. Those who had once claimed to follow Jesus would now turn their backs on him as well as betray those who remained faithful. Look at, look at 1 John 2, verses 18 and 19. Here we see a first, first century example of this very thing. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. I have to imagine that John would have been thinking of the Olivet Discourse when he had penned these words. For what they were experiencing in the first century was a departure, a departure from the faith. Those who had left the church when the going got tough. And this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Persecution would separate the, the, the tares from the wheat. But how does this happen? What brings this about? One of the ways is through the teaching of these false prophets that Christ warned us about. Men who would preach a, a message that was easier to hear. A, a teaching that would be more palatable. Think of the Judaizers that Paul warned about. They wanted to go back to the old covenant. They, they were preaching a different gospel. A gospel that would ease the burden from their Jewish oppressors. Or think about the book of Hebrews. Which, which warned these first century Christians not to go back to the temple practices. For in so doing, they would be rejecting their Messiah. For in Jesus, we now have a heavenly temple. 
In Jesus, we have a better sacrifice. In Jesus, we have a greater high priest. To go back to the temple would be to diminish Christ. And as enticing as these false prophets seemed, what we find is that they, they were only leading people away from the gospel message and from the forgiveness that comes through the cross. And this is why Jesus charged his disciples to stand firm. They were to have conviction. They were not to be deceived. They were not to be alarmed. But they were to stand firm and be the bold witness for him. Listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 36. Remember those earlier days after you have received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. The author of Hebrews were, was reminding these first century Christians of how they had once stood firm, even under duress, and that they should continue to stand their ground in the midst of this temptation to go back to the temple. And then listen to what he says in verse 37. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Remember the question that the disciples were asking concerning the destruction of the temple. When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? The author of Hebrews was warning these Christians that this coming judgment that Jesus spoke of concerning the destruction of the temple would soon take place and that to go back was to invite God's wrath upon yourself. And that is why they must stand firm. Look, look, look at the rest of that passage, verses 38 and 39. But my righteous one will live by faith And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. What a good word. This same calling to stand firm, it's not just placed on those first century Christians, but it's placed on us as well. We are to demonstrate conviction. Listen, I I get it. It can be really tempting to give way to the culture of our day. I mean, how many churches have given in to the false prophets of our time? Those who preach a message that is easy to hear. A gospel that, that is really no gospel at all. Words that don't offend anyone. Words that ignore people's sins. Words that don't call them to repentance. 
The temptation to go down that road is, is palpable. And yet what is crazy is that we don't face nearly the persecution that these first century Christians did. We aren't getting arrested for our beliefs. We aren't having our possessions confiscated. We don't face violence or death. And yet so many of us cave so easily. And why? Why do we do it? I think one of the reasons is because we want to be liked. We don't want to be hated. How will we be judged by our forebears? I, I worry about this generation because we lack conviction. We lack what it takes to stand firm. You see, true faith stands firm under the most dire of circumstances because our glory does not come from the praise of men, but from the praise of our King. We must stand firm. Finally, Jesus had this to say. Look at, look at verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Jesus promised that the gospel would go out to all the nations before the temple would be destroyed. And this is what we see in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit used his disciples to spread the kingdom of God throughout the known world. Look at Paul's testimony in Colossians 1, verse 6. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You see, despite the persecution, despite the immense pressure that the early church faced, the gospel was flourishing. It was bearing fruit throughout the whole world. For it is good news that cannot be refuted. And brothers and sisters, the same thing can happen today. For those who have discernment, for those who have courage, for those who have conviction, Jesus promises that their gospel witness will bear fruit. For true faith will result in the advancement of God's kingdom. This is God's charge to us. So let us be a people of discernment. Let us be a people of courage. Let us be a people of conviction. And let us see the gospel of the kingdom go out to the ends of the earth. Let us pray. Father, we confess that too often we, we cave under the pressure of society's norms. Some of us are deceived, some of us are afraid, and some of us lack conviction. We ask now that you would change our hearts, help us to repent, that your Holy Spirit would work within us, giving us discernment, giving us courage, giving us conviction. And we pray for the gospel, the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, the one who, who, who bled and died for our sins, 
that that message would go from our lips to the people that we know, to the community around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.